Marina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series, our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight is on success and backed by popular demand from the secret Dr. John F. Martini. He's a human behavioral specialist, educator, and international authority on maximizing human awareness and potential. He's the creator of the Breakthrough Experience and the Demartini Method. He's here tonight to talk about a fantastic new book of his called From Stress to Success in Just 31 Days. To find out more about Dr. Demartini, go to his website, drdemartini.com. This is just a fantastic interview. You'll enjoy. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Wonderful. We're getting into this wonderful book, From Stress to Success. What was your uh, your motive behind uh, giving us this wonderful information in this great book? Well, I think for myself, I, I'd have to say that as a little bit of a narcissistic motive, I, I had to figure out for myself how to reduce that for myself. Mm-hmm. So I basically started identifying what seemed to help me, what mm-hmm. seemed to work for me, uh-huh. and I started implementing that with my staff members at the time, and I started working with clients, and I started looking what worked and what didn't work, and then somebody said, you know, I wish you had that in a book, and I said, all right, so we'll put it together in a book. And um, my wife at the time, who's passed away, but at the time, she uh, and I sat down and typed that baby up in New York City, and that's how the book came about. Mm. You um, start the book by talking to us about writing and reading our goals, having those goals before us. That's a great place to start. Talk to us about that. Well, there's a basic principle that we probably all, even though we may not know the name of it, we've been all living it, that if we don't fill our days with high-priority things, it automatically gets consumed by low-priority things. If you don't plant flowers in a garden, it will always fill up with weeds. And so if we don't decide what our flowers are and what's really important to us, what's truly meaningful to us and inspiring to us, what we do, we're going to end up filling our days with things that despire us. And so the key is to take the time, be honest with ourselves, reflect, and think, how do we really, 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 really want to fill our life, and how do we want to spend our day? And we want to prioritize that in such a way where it's the most meaningful things we can write down. Because there's no doubt that writing things down helps crystallize actions and solutions and allows us to get more done in a day. People with an agenda get more done than people who don't, and people who set the goals have proven to have accomplished way more in their life than the people who've held back and been waiting to see what life had to offer. You still write your goals down every day? Believe it or not, I do. I write my gratitudes every day. I got the largest collection of anybody probably on earth, and I'm refining my goals every day. I constantly work on those. I love those. I worked on it over the weekend. I've been working on it already this morning, and tonight before I go to bed, I work on them again. I, I read them and I refine them. I read them and refine them constantly every day. When you talk about goals, many people, they, they do. I, I know people who have lists, lists upon lists upon lists of goals, but it can look overwhelming on the surface when you put down what your goals or dreams are or whatnot, and you're looking back and thinking, oh, my gosh, where do I start? Well, <laughs> What's the next step? <laughs> I think it's wise to get everything down because the things, uh, amazing things happen to people that declare what they want. Their, their mind is more awakened to opportunities if they have it written down than if they don't. Then I think it's wise to prioritize it. So you're focusing on what's really prioritized for that time. It may be for the month or the week or the year or whatever. 
So I would say, what is the highest priorities for the year? What's the highest priorities for the month? What's the highest priorities for the week, the day? And organize it in such a way. And then, um, as, as I'll see on the next principle here, which we'll discuss, is about how important it is to prioritize our daily actions so we keep moving in that direction. It's not the destination anyway. It's the journey. So we might as well be doing something every day that's meaningful along the way. And, and I think that's important. Now, there is a thing called goal overrun where people can have so many things in front of them they feel scattered. So it's good to get them all down, and then it's good to prioritize them, and then put the ones that are most important in focus. Because some of them may be a year from now or five years, some may be longer term, some may be shorter term. But as long as you chunk them down into smaller bites and work on the daily actions that help you get there, you know you're on your way. And that's the feeling of fulfillment. Not you know When you get there, you're going to go on to the next one anyway. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about us acting on our top priorities in these activities and, um, you know, goals or whatnot. I think that that really gets people acting on the top priorities because, um, you know, it's one thing to set goals, you know, and say you're going to do that, but the, the follow-through, the acting. What well, do you think that is? Anytime you set a goal that is not congruent or aligned with what your true highest values and priorities are, what's really most meaningful to you, You'll tend to procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate. But if you make sure you know what you, who you really are, there's a little exercise uh, that I maybe, if you don't mind, um, mm-hmm. I'd like to share. Uh, on my website, drdmartini.com, if you go to a menu that says Demartini Value Determining, you can pull up, complimentary, a four-page article and step-by-step process on how to determine what's really meaningful and priority and value to you. If a person will start with that, so they look at what's really important so they can organize their goals around that. They have the highest probability of achieving and staying with things and having disability, dis, dis, discipline, reliability, and focus. And by having that, you just increase the odds and probabilities of achieving. And this grows our self-worth. I always say when you focus on ABCs and not XYZs, you grow in self-worth. But if you focus on XYZs and not ABCs, you lower self-worth. So by making sure it's congruent, you have a higher probability of actually staying with it and doing it. That's awesome. In your writing and reading your goals, you also have write and read your affirmations. Talk about the importance of affirmations and what they can do for somebody. Well, affirmations, originally the word affirmation came from the word to affirm in one's mind. And so what it is is really like a checklist of the things that you know are important in your life that you want to focus on. And by reading it, it just brings into your awareness those focuses for the day. And uh, out of sight, out of mind, you've probably heard. But having an insight and reading it just makes it increase the probability that your mind is acutely aware of the opportunities that are surrounding you. So by saying and affirming what it is that you really, truly would love and making sure it's not fantasies, making sure it's congruent with your values, making sure it's something that's doable within the universe, and making sure that it's realistic um, you increase the probability of reminding yourself on a daily basis to take the priority actions, and you also, because of it, you basically are increasing the probability of seeing the opportunities and acting on them. I started with an affirmation when I was 17 years old that changed my life. And I got that from a gentleman named Paul Bragg when I was 17. And I was a high school dropout. I had uh, not read a book from cover to cover by that time because I had learning problems. I was living in a tent at the time, and I'd almost died just recently. And I'd been living on the streets as a teenager before that. So I had a, you know, a bit of a challenge in those days. And this man gave me a, a vision 
uh, one night spoke and I got inspired by a vision of what was possible for me. And I didn't know how I was going to live it, but I asked him, you know, I don't know how to read, but I want to be a teacher and I want to, I want to be intelligent. I want to travel the world and teach. And he said, well, every day from now on, say to yourself that I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom. And I thought, wow, that's kind of far out. It's not me. But I did what he said. I started saying that every day. And I can tell you right now, I've gone 39 years and I've never missed a day. And I say that every day. And I realize that a genius is one who listens to their inner vision, inner voice, follows their inner vision, and obeys. And it lives authentically to what's true for them and keeps persistently pursuing what it is that's meaningful. And I believe that that awakens authenticity, innovation, and the true genius that we all have. And I believe everybody has that. So that affirmation, without a doubt, changed my life. And he even said that if I said it every single day for the rest of my life, that sooner or later the cells in my body will tingle with it, so will the world. And after two years of saying that every day, I was at a library studying for a test by then, because I went back to school, and I heard a bunch of kids get out, and they came in and they said, John, can we study with you? And all of a sudden I heard this one guy said, John, he whispered to this other guy, he said, that John, he's a freaking genius. And I realized that what one statement had already made a difference, so I decided that night that I was going to fill my entire day with statements. So I have probably the largest collection of those type of statements than anybody on earth. I started saying I'm a master of persistence. I do whatever it takes. I'm always at the right place at the right time to meet the right people to make the right deal. I'm a money magnet, and whatever I touch turns to gold. I'm always at the right place to meet the right person to fulfill my life. I started saying exactly how I want it. I'm a money magnet, and I started even saying that no matter who I touch, whoever I see becomes inspired with me. I mean, I just started saying things that I how I wanted my life. And today, my life is pretty well what those statements are. So if you have a hard time convincing me that they don't have an impact. Awesome. Your next step is rather interesting but very needed as people are going to reach for these goals. They're stressed out, they're frustrated, and they're overwhelmed. You say... Practice deep breathing and stretching. Why do you say that? Well, deep breathing. So as the mind wanders, so does the breath. And as the breath wanders, so does the mind. Mm-hmm. And one of the most powerful ways of regulating the mental function is by regulating the breathing function. Because it's been shown that if we inhale longer than we exhale, we get a little elated and we get excited. If we exhale longer than we inhale, we tend to slow down and kind of re- 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 delay, delay ourselves or lower our energies or kind of depress ourselves. If we have a balanced breathing, we normalize our physiology. We become grateful. And yogis have been doing this for centuries. But I've demonstrated this to thousands of people around the world as I've lectured. And it's really quite astonishing. You literally can take command of your body and mind by your breath. So mastering the breath is mastering the mind. And as Warren Buffett said, don't ever expect to manage your emotions or manage your money without managing your emotions. And you manage your emotions by managing your breath. So that's one. And then the other is making sure you stretch because if you are uptight, your body's tight. And if you stretch, you loosen yourself up. And with that comes new creative ideas, new inspirations, and new possibilities, and more adaptability, which allows people to have greater achievements in life. Less stress, more success, in other words. Your next step, I wanted to know, uh, you know, on your journey, um, you say selective and collective reading. How much reading did you do on your way to your success? <laughs> well, I've read over 29,213 books is what I've got documented. Wow. And, and so I, I've been reading a lot. 
I was neurotically reading 18-hour days. I still crank out lots of reading. And I developed a speed reading development program and kept reading. And so I, I used to read between four and seven books every morning before I even got to class. I used to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and read till 6.30 every morning. And uh, so I read a lot. I'm a neurotic reader because I learned a long time ago that the, the poor people usually have a cookbook and a Bible in their house, and the rich people usually have a library. Mm-hmm. And everywhere in between is a ratio of books that they've read and the people they've met. So I started to, I dedicated my life to putting my hand into the pot of glue of the great minds because I knew it would stick with me. So I, I make a commitment to read. I love reading. That's my inspire because as a teacher, I got to keep myself fresh and inspire with new ideas. And reading is the greatest way to take an entire life and put it into an hour. So instead of having to reinvent a wheel, you can stand on the shoulders of giants and not have to reinvent living in the shadows. So I think that reading is very viable. I've spent most of my last since since I was 17, when I first started reading, 17, 18 years old, I've been reading, like I said, I'm going to be probably at the end of this year, a little after the end of the year, I'll have 30,000 books done. So I'm a, a neurotic reader. I mean, people can't comprehend it, but I, I'll read when I'm in the bathroom. I'll read on the way walking somewhere. I'll read while I'm waiting for food. I, I like reading. I like to fill my mind with things that inspire me. You just don't put anything in your mind. You say selective reading. Well, I think it's wise to prioritize the reading because uh, you have most people have a finite number of books they're going to read. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of it, you might as well fill it with things that are most meaningful and inspiring to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather read a classic like an Emerson or read an Aristotle or a great mind that's left their marks in history. I believe if you stand on their shoulders, you leave a mark in history. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm much rather interested in reading something that's purposeful, that's inspiring, that's meaningful, and biographies of great people than I would just for temporary little puts and pleasure and and things because I figure that uh, immediate gratification costs your life, but long-term vision pays. And standing on the people that have left long-term visions, they usually have great ideas to share. Might as well stand on them and learn from them. So I read every day. I read usually the founders of every ology known. I basically devoured 283 different disciplines, and I basically go after everyone who's the founding thinker, original thinkers of new disciplines, new ologies, and stand on their shoulders because that's where new innovative ideas come. And I believe that that's contributed to my innovation and all about the creation of all the things that I've generated for the world. Outside of Paul Bragg, who else has inspired you? Well, after Paul Bragg, I, I met a gentleman who had six PhDs. He was 35 years old, extremely well-read man, uh, who I got to mentor under. And uh, he inspired me to study every imaginable thing. He was extremely valuable. And uh, he was an impact. And then I ended up uh, meeting a guy named Jim Parker. Jim Parker was a, a leader in a health profession I was involved in, in chiropractic. And uh, he was an inspiration. And then there's been thousands of people in the literature and reading, and there have many, many mentors. I try to find mentors in each area. I've had, I've had the opportunity to meet, I think, 27 billionaires. So from finances, I learned from them. Uh, business leaders. I mean, religious leaders. I mean, any area of life that I think that I want to master, I want to go and find out what they're doing, stand on their shoulders instead of having to reinvent wheels. And reading has been my greatest asset, and the other ones is meeting the great people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be awesome to finally get to, to meet them and see them face to face. Your next step on your 31 uh, steps to success is um, grooming for success and dressing for success. You're always sharp. I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't envision you going to one of your uh, your talks or your presentations in the jogging shorts. I, I make love in my suit, as they say. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, you know, I, I, when I was 23, 
I just finished up my undergraduate, and I was headed for graduate uh, professional school, doctorate school. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I had to get a job. And when I did, I got a job at Penny's, J.C. Penny's, selling suits. And so I figured I better wear the suit if I'm going to sell it. Mm-hmm. In those days, you could get a suit for very cheap, and you get two for one because you could turn it inside out. It was that bad. But anyway, I got it. And when I did, I wore that suit, and I noticed people treated me differently. I mean, one day I didn't have a suit, next day I had a suit, and I noticed all these people treated me differently. And then I noticed that the way I dressed was I was treated differently. And then I realized when I treated differently, I acted differently. And so I, I realized that I might as well take advantage of that. Instead of using that as a disadvantage, I'll use that as my advantage. So from that day on, I realized the power of always dressing quality and always dressing as good, if not better, than anybody I was with to set a new standard and inspire other people. And I can tell you, that made a difference. And to this day, I do that because that has given me an edge. It's like a, running a race. One inch is an edge, and that's an edge. Because you treat yourself differently when you respect yourself, and the way you dress does have an impact. And I've also noticed that with my, my friends and my patients and the people around me, in fact, one time I was in a grocery store, and I, was, I normally wear the suit, right? But this particular day, I did go jogging. And I walked in there in my jogging outfit, and there was a patient and another friend and she turned around and she saw my face and she was about to introduce her friend and then she saw I was in my jogging outfit and she stopped. And, I, and then she literally dodged. She was looking right at me and she dodged as if I wasn't there. Stopped the whole thing because she didn't want to be embarrassed because she didn't want to see me in a in jogging outfit like that. Now that seems silly, but then I realized I wonder how many other people are doing the same and how many opportunities I'm passing because of that. So I decided that I'm going to address quality and I'll invest in that, and it's an investment, and I guarantee you that little doubt that the thousands of dollars I've spent on suits have made me millions back. Awesome. I wanted you to talk about, and there's a term that another um, a presenter, I don't know if you know who Joel Bauer is, he talks about wrapping the package. Now, you dress very, very well. You, on your way to be able to afford those $1,000 suits, have learned a, a couple tips do you get the shoes? Do you get the silk tie? How do you actually be able to, uh, you know, put that package together if you don't have, you know, thousands of dollars to spend on suits? Well, you work at the level that you're at. I mean, when I first bought suits, I bought uh, not the most expensive. You know, I spent up to $38,000 for a suit now. But in those days, if I, I spent uh, $200 on a suit, and uh, that was a stretch. So, you know, at the point when you first start, you start with a reasonable amount because it is an investment. Quality clothes are investments. Better to have fewer in quality than more and less quality. If you're not feeling like a million bucks, you're probably holding yourself back from a million bucks. But what I did is I basically started saving my money. And I realized that when you start to save money, you start attracting opportunities. See, most people keep waiting for extra money to get before they save, but that's not how it works. You save money first. And you attract more money in the process. But I started saving my money, and then I made a rule never to raise my lifestyle unless I was able to save the amount that I wanted to raise it and pay my taxes that same amount. And that was a gold mine, that realization. What? And then what I did is I made it a point to work harder and serve more people and be diligent in being of service to people so I could earn more. I saved more. And then whenever I wanted to raise my lifestyle, either with a nice suit, I tried to put the equal amount into savings. And I'm amazed. I went out and worked harder just so I could do that, so I could keep myself not moving backward away from financial independence, but forward towards financial independence. So you start with where you are. It may be small. You may buy a get-a-used suit. You may find a friend that has a suit. 
just a start. But it makes a difference. Male or female, if you dress professionally, you get professional opportunities. You dress like an amateur, that's what you'll get. I agree. I agree. Your next steps, 11 and 12. I'll start with 11. Love what you do, do what you love. It's evident you love what you do. But I know many people, they don't love what they do. Um, how do you get to that point? And how do you they get do, to that the, the first thing that's wise is to go to the, that website and get that value determination process and look at what your life demonstrates is truly important to you. Because life leaves clues and your life demonstrates your values. And anytime you set a goal that doesn't match your values or do an action that's not connected to your values, you're going to drain yourself, you're going to lower your self-worth, you're going to feel defeated. But first, define what those values are, what's really, really, really important to you, what your life really demonstrates, not your fantasies, not the injected values you think you should be having, but what's really true. Then it's wise to prioritize everything you do in a day. Make a list of everything you do and prioritize it and look at where you're diluting yourself and where you're building yourself. Because the things that are really high in value, raise your self-worth, and the things that don't, lower it. Mm-hmm. So you need to prioritize it. Then it's wise to find a way of doing an activity that produces more income per minute, per hour, than the others, and see if you can't delegate lower priority things so you can get on to higher priority things. When you do, you start doing more of what you love and loving more of what you do. Then you want to take anything you feel you're still trapped doing that's not inspiring to you, you want to get on a piece of paper and ask, how is doing this ultimately on the way, not in the way? How is it helping me grow in some fact of my life? Is it giving me contacts? Is it giving me skills? Is it teaching me discipline? Is it helping me get to learn how to communicate more effectively? Is it making me more organized? And find out how whatever you're doing, no matter what it is, how is it helping you fulfill your values and is on the way, not in the way? That will raise your energy level. It will put your heart more into your work. It will give you more probabilities of having promotions and opportunities. It will gain your confidence. And in the meantime, if if you're not doing something you're really inspired by initially, Go and start building a business plan about what you want to do because if you don't decide what you want to do, somebody else decides. And if you don't value you and say, hey, I'm worth the time to plan my life, somebody else plans it. By you planning your life and then designing it the way you would love and then appreciating what you're doing and how it's going to get you there, you move closer to doing what you love and loving what you do. You have mentioned and touched on this in another chapter earlier, but um, I found very recently some people who've um, gone backwards in life due to the people that they have around them and your next step is surrounding yourself with succeeders. Talk about the importance of that not only in your life but some professional things that you've seen and how people have been able to use this step to move forward. Well, if you're not hanging out with people that stretch you, you'll end up at the shrink. <laughs> right there. So you you have to, you know, let me give, give you an analogy. Um Let's say, they're, they're, let's say there's three classes of people in society. There's middle class, upper class, and lower class. And let's say the people, the, the, the upper class have more money. Middle class have less money. Lower class have very little money, if any. Now, if the, little, the lower class hang out with the middle class, and the middle class uh, wants to live and charge what they charge, the lower class will probably say, well, they're expensive and greedy. <laughs> and the, the middle class looking at the lower class will probably say, well, they're cheap and generous. And then if you go to the upper class and you come from the lower class, you probably say they're super greedy, super expensive. And the upper class will look down at the lower class and say, God, they're cheap, and they just give away everything. They sacrifice themselves. Mm -hmm. So what happens if you hang out with people that are in a lower consciousness than you, 
they're going to want to bring you down to their level. And they're going to want to bring you down to what they feel comfortable with. But if you hang out with people that are stretching and already done bigger games, they want to stretch you and help you go bigger. So it's wise to go and listen and mentor and to hang out with the people that stretch you, that have bigger visions. And then go and take that to the people that have lesser visions and share what you learn and inspire them. That way you actually, and, and you get paid for it for that matter, take what you've learned from the people that have expanded beyond you and share that with the people that have yet to sta- expand and help them get what they want. If, they help, if you help them get what they want, you get what you want. And this stretches you and stretches them and makes everybody raise the standard of life. You mentioned that uh, you had uh, acquaintance with Mary Kay Ash. Was she one of the people that virtually inspired you? Well, I met Mary Kay, let's see, that would go back about 27 years ago. I spoke at the Anatole in Dallas, Texas. And there's about 4,000 young ladies there. Nothing like being the only guy amongst that. <laughs> I bet you liked that. Uh, it was a day of, of uh, memory I don't forget. <laughs> at the end of my talk... I uh, had the opportunity to stand in line and meet Mary Kay. She was at this big seat, looked like a queen's seat. And she had her hair all stacked up, and she was a beautiful lady. And I walked up to her, and I said, I said, uh, Mary Kay, uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak to your group, uh, but I do have a question. What advice can you give a young, inspired, aspiring speaker who wants to travel the world and be a great teacher around the world? What advice can you give? And she said this really clearly. She says, well, young man, uh, I want you to write down the six or seven highest priority actions you can do and think about doing each day that will help you fulfill your dreams and stick to those top priorities. Just do six or seven, the highest priority actions, and document those and do those. And don't go to bed until they're done. Just six or seven. Don't, over, don't overdo it. Just six or seven. So I started doing that, and, and I did it on index cards, three-by-five index cards. I wrote six or seven things that I thought were the highest priority actions I could do that day uh, to fulfill my life and my dream, and I did that. And then what I did is I, I stored them in a box that held a 1,000 index cards, and I stored that for almost two years. And then I stopped, and that's about 1,500 of them, and I stopped and I went back and I looked at what was the highest priorities of the highest priorities, which ones showed up most frequent of the frequencies. And then I looked, and I I realized something. I discovered the highest priorities of the priorities by doing it, and I discovered that all I have to do is research, write, travel, teach. So then what I did is said, now that I know my highest priorities, the things that most inspire me, most meaningful, most productive things, I want to work at delegating everything else away, and I want to get on with doing what I do best. And to this day, I research, write, travel, teach. I don't do anything else. I don't cook. I don't drive. I don't do anything else but research, write, travel, teach. And that's what I love doing, and that's how you get to do what you love and love what you do. Great. I wanted to ask, because I know um, I last time I interviewed you, somebody had a question that they had. They said, if you ever get them back, ask this question. What are the two most challenging hurdles or obstacles you had to go through, and how long did it take you to master, uh, you know, to master them? Well, my first obstacle, once I got onto my dream at 17, mm-hmm. uh, was learning how to read. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know and couldn't read when I was, I didn't read my first book till I was 18. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to read and I, I, I attempted to take a GED. I did it by guessing and I passed somehow. And I started, uh, took a college entrance exam by guessing and I passed, purely by guessing. It was just one of those synchronicities. 
And then I tried to go to college, and I failed my first class, first test in, in class, English and history, or in history, for me. And um, then what happened is I went home, and I was crying because I about busted my whole dream. Because I thought all I could do is hear my first grade teacher who told me I would never read, write, or communicate, never mount thing, never go very far in life. And then I, my mom came home and saw me crying, and she said, "Son, what happened?" I said, "I blew it. I bombed it. I guess I'll never read, write, or communicate, never mount thing, never go very far in life." And she didn't know what to say. And finally, she said, "Son, whether you become a great teacher and philosopher and travel the world, whether you return to Hawaii and surf, or whether you live back on the streets as a bum, I just want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what." And when she did that, I cried. And it was so touching because I felt loved. I made a fist in my hand and I made a determination. I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading. I'm going to master this thing called studying, teaching, philosophy. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, travel whatever distance, pay whatever price to give my service of love. And I'm going to do, I'm not going to let any human being stop me from my, my dream now. And I went in there, I hugged my mom, I went in my room, I got a dictionary out, and I started reading a dictionary word by word, literally alphabetically and memorizing 30 words in that dictionary until I encompassed that dictionary. And my mom would test me on 30 words a day, and I had to be able to pronounce them properly, but with dyslexia, that wasn't easy. Say the word, uh, what the meaning was, and then use it in a sentence. And I did that 30 words a day until my vocabulary was strong enough to read, and then I started reading literally a dictionary and encyclopedia every day. And I eventually read eight encyclopedia complete sets because I wanted to know laws of the universe. I wanted to know how to maximize human potential. And I just started reading and reading and reading and reading. So the first obstacle was learning to read. The second one was overcoming the fear of rejection and feeling stupid. And I think that was a big one for me because I really didn't completely master that. Even though I started attracting students right away, because people started wanting to learn from me right from the beginning. But standing up in front of a group of people still frightened me. And so I had to go overcome that. And that really, I was really anxious one day, and I was supposed to do a talk at a college, and lo and behold, it didn't show up, I didn't get to do it. And I realized I had been stressed for three weeks worrying about that day, and then when the day came, I didn't even get to do it, and I realized I was stressed over something that never happened. And that night, I made a decision that I was going to master speaking, and I was going to take every opportunity from now on the rest of my life to speak. Now, I've done 426 speeches in one year, which is a world record. And that's because I made that decision that I was going to speak every opportunity I could speak. I still speak every day, just about. And I'm going to be probably doing close to 385, 390 this year. So I'm constantly speaking. And I, you learn to play the flute by playing the flute. So those are the two biggest obstacles that were in my way. 